The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Rios, do not even think about going there. Hey everybody, this is your host Peter with the 15th Digest of the second volume covering Monday, October 10th through Friday, October 14th, 2022. Marvel Saga Monday, Part 8, taking a look at Marvel Saga issue number 8, which is entitled Fatal Encounters. And this is a full issue for sure. This is the issue where Marvels meet Marvels, and it feels like you are starting to see how the whole shared universe concept is uh, starting to form. This is by writer and researcher Peter Sanderson, with cover art by Ron Friends, Klaus Janssen, and Brett Breeding. You can definitely tell that the X-Men sold comics in the 80s, because although they are only featured on three interior pages, they split the cover focus and receive... Uh, you know, the uppermost text billing. More sensational X-Men and X-Factor origins. Well, you know, not exactly, but you do get the first encounters of Cyclops and Iceman versus the Angel, which is the main cover image, plus the Hulk and Spider-Man's first battles with the Fantastic Four, and then you see a detail of the cover to Amazing Spider-Man number one, plus more red-letter events in the lives of Thor, Loki, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, and many more. And the back cover features Spider-Man and the space capsule that he saves, and Hulk versus Thing, Reed and Doom, Tony Stark painting his gray armor yellow or gold. And all the history from this issue is pulled from the following Marvel comics, Amazing Spider-Man number 1, Fantastic Four 9 through 12, and the annual number 1, Journey into Mystery 88 and 89, Tales of Suspense 40, Strange Tales 107, and Hulk number 6. We start things off in the first four and a half pages where we left off last issue, wrapping up Spider-Man's rescue of John Jameson, an adventure that always seemed out of character or seemed out of, you know, the character's league for his debut issue, but I suppose it makes sense considering the space race at the time. There is a new opening splash page, which is uh, featuring artwork by Ron Friends and Al Milgram based on Amazing Spider-Man number one. This is something that the saga has done on and off. During this sequence, I'm pretty sure that the saga changed the sound effect from the original issue from thwip or no from twing to the more familiar thwip. And it does happen one other time in this issue as well. And then after he rescues the capsule using both his powers and his brains, we see some panels with Parker's need to be recognized for what he did and his obsession with making himself a bankable star again because of the rescue. And it's all fairly interesting to read in this early phase because even though this is after his uncle's death, again, this, you know, power responsibility thing hasn't totally sank in just yet so of course his wishes backfire jjj goes on a rant of course accusing spider-man of rigging the events involving his son and there's this idea of manipulating media and the public and you know in light of current political events right there's a line here that the saga has um this is uh from the narration of the saga itself JJJ chooses to interpret the facts to fit his theory and says that this is all to boost sales of the Daily Bugle. And then Amazing Amazing Spider-Man number one has a narration that says, Unfortunately, if something is shouted loud enough, there are always those who believe it. I mean, come on. This is what people mean when they say, you know, how can the geek world grow up to be anything other than, you know, champion, champions of, of the good cause, right? You know, if you grow up reading Spider-Man and you watch, you know, Superman movies and you watch Star Wars, how did you become the enemy of all these things, right? Where, why did you start to side with the bad people? I just don't get it, right? And, you know, Amazing Spider-Man from the 1960s, just 
nailing down exactly what is going on now. Anyway, uh, even Aunt May, in, in one of the later sequences, she, she thinks that Spider-Man, that they should lock him up because there's an F, FBI one ad that's been put out. And then the last panel of that sequence on page five, Parker is again at odds with what he should do as Spider-Man, saying, must I really become a menace? Perhaps that is the only course left for me. I don't know if that's something that he struggles with for the, those first early issues because I have never read them. And I wonder if that's something like a holdover idea from Ditko himself. Pages five through nine, we go to the Fantastic Four. They are broke. They had been invited to make a movie out in Hollywood with SM Studios, which turns out to be Submariner, Submariner Studios. I mean, come on, can this be the, the plot for their arrival into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? That'd be great. Um, again, by the time we get to the end of it, Sue has come to the defense of Namor. Um, she says that Namor lives by a code that they can't understand, and that what he did, he did out of love. And once again, I find myself saying, Sue, come on. Um, this is the first issue where the saga starts to detail smaller adventures without actually including any panel art. For instance, Hulk versus Mongu, Ant-Man versus Scarlet Beetle, or the Hijacker, or Kulla. And then there are other sequences later on um, where, again, you don't see panel work, you just get brief descriptions. Speaking of Ant-Man, the current Al Ewing and Tom Kelly Ant-Man miniseries, uh, in the first issue, Hank and Janet went to the movies and they went and saw the Fantastic Four movie. So how's that for synergy all these many years later? Pages 9 through 11, a few smaller adventures with Thor and the Hulk. We got Thor admitting to Loki in this early era that he can't match power to power, but he does have his hammer. I love learning all those little things. They're kind of like one-offs, right? Like the writers haven't solidified these characters yet, and they, they're going to evolve, but it's nice to see some things in these early stages. With the Hulk page, we get a mention of Tyrannus. Uh, that character was talked about in one of the early issues, when it came to the Mole Man and all these other subterranean characters, and I said, boy, I would really love if they could meet. Sure enough, they did in the Subterranean Wars annuals from 1991, which, you know, maybe I'll get to later, much later. But what I like about this, sequ this sequence is that the saga, just like on the cover with X-Factor, continues to promote 80s comics, mentioning an upcoming... Uh, Hulk Annual in the summer of 1986. It would be Hulk Annual 15 written by Danny Fingeroth, who just so happens to be the editor of Marvel Saga, right? Self-promotion much? Hmm. Page 12 through 13, if you ever wondered how Iron Man went from gray to gold, give credit to one of his dates, Marion, where um, they're at a circus and these animals break free and, of course, Tony Stark has to stop them as Iron Man, but he seems to, like, lumber about in that gray armor. And someone even says he looks like a creature in one of those science fiction films. Again, pushing this notion that just like Hulk is Jekyll and Hyde, Iron Man is very much Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. So he stops the animals, he engages a device that is small, you know, this is the whole thing about Iron Man's origin in that time where everything was sort of miniaturized. And that's when um, his date talks to him as Tony Stark and says, you know, wow, Iron Man would probably be more loved if he wasn't gray, maybe if he was gold, and then he could, he could look like a shining knight of armor. And that's exactly what Tony Stark does. Pages 14 through 19, as Namor promised, the Fantastic Four movie is made and the group is rich again. And I wrote down here in my notes, which uh, 1962 or 19, yeah, 1962, 1963 director do you think would be, um, you know, awesome and good enough to take this movie and put it together and make the Fantastic Four stars out of it? You know, so who do we know from 62 and 63 that would uh, want to take up this venture? We get a major meetup of the Marvel Age where Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four meet. 
Again, Parker is showing the folly of his youth, thinking that he could become the fifth member of the Fantastic Four, all right? It's the Fantastic Four. Why would you think you could be the fifth mem member? The saga takes panels from Amazing Spider-Man number one, but also from the retelling of this story by Kirby from Fantastic Four Annual One. Spider-Man takes on the team all by himself, reminding me of his battle against X-Men in Secret Wars number three. And we get the first appearance of Chameleon, um, who masquerades as Spider-Man and uses a web gun, which I think is similar to Kirby's original concept of the Spider-Man character. And then this chapter of Spider-Man ends with the Fantastic Four questioning his fate and his future, wondering what he would do if he went bad. And this was a notion that Reed expressed while talking about Johnny Storm a few issues back. And the Thing comments that this Spider-Man is a teenager and his powers have the potential to grow as he ages. And I have to imagine that was followed up on somewhere along the many, many years of Spider-Man comics. Pages 19 through 21, we learned what happened to Dr. Doom after he was whisked away through space on a meteor in one of the previous issues. He was rescued by the Ovoids, the one who, the, those are the aliens that teach him how to swap minds. And at the end of this caper, uh, Dr. Doom gets shrunk into a subatomic universe for a later adventure. So Dr. Doom whipping himself all throughout, you know, various corners of the Marvel Universe. And then the saga talks about Dr. Doom's ability to mind exchange um, from comics, you know, in the early 80s, such as during the battle between Silver Surfer and Terax, and then eventually how his body was recently restored by the Beyonder. So again, the saga is also being used a little bit more as promotion. We get the first appearance of Marvel's answer to Mixopidilic, the Impossible Man, and he's wearing the, the classic antagonist colors of the Marvel Universe, green and purple. Pages 20 through to 26, we get another major meetup when the Fantastic Four meets with the cast of Incredible Hulk. And uh, Thunderbolt Ross comes to the Fantastic Four and, and hopes to gain their help against the Hulk. And they show him the new Fantasticar. And Richard, Reed Richards has this... You could tell it's very, it's a meta commentary on Stan Lee's part where he says, you know, our fans had a lot of complaints about the ship that we used to have, which was in the shape of a bathtub. So we decided to create this fantastic car. And that's like, you know, that was typical of those early Fantastic Four comics every now and then. They would kind of tongue in cheek um, talk about the readership through their fans. We have Bruce Banner again using gamma radiation to control his transformation. Um, you know, in these first six, six issues, it's, it's just a constant rejuvenation of energy or exposure to radiation, cosmic rays. And you can really look at these six issues as kind of like, okay, here's the big melting pot of what will eventually become the Hulk. We get the first ever matchup of Hulk and the Thing. The saga tends to favor on this Hulk side, you know, explaining that he's going to become even more powerful in the future. And um, Fantastic Four and Reed, they meet Banner and Rick Jones, and that's a huge, you know, part of the Marvel Universe coming together. All of it, all of it really building basically in one month, if not one week. Because Amazing Spider-Man number one and Fantastic Four number 12, if my notes are correct, were released in the same week, which is bizarre. But also makes sense, right? They probably were doing this sort of cross-promotional thing. Then we come near the end to this issue, and we have another first for Marvel Saga. We have a few pages that are commissioned by current artists, current artists as of 1986, to create all new pages within the saga. So page 27 is Walt Simonson basing a sequence off of Journey into Mystery number 90, which the original artist was Al Hartley. And I looked up Hartley. He seems to have a lot of Patsy Walker credits. So I have to imagine this was a way to maybe entice readers to pick up some of these later issues. You know, it's got new artwork by Walt Simonson. Come on, go pick it up. 
pages 28 through 29, we are back to original artwork, Hulk versus the Metal Master. And that wraps up the first six issues um, of the series. And it kind of gives Hulk a, a bit of a happy ending until he continues on further. And the saga does tease that the Hulk will next appear as a founding member of the Avengers. Then we get back to the final pages, pages 30 through 32, again with new artwork, this time by Bill Sienkiewicz, basing these these panels and these pages off of X-Men 55 and 56, which was done by Werner Roth at the time. We are rounding out Angel's origin, and at this time he's calling himself Avenging Angel, and he has a gas gun. And there's a confrontation between, you know, uh, him and Iceman. And then we end on a cliffhanger with a confrontation between Angel and Cyclops. Both Sienkiewicz and Simonson base their pages um, loosely on how the pages were laid out in those original comics back in the 60s. So, as I mentioned last time, um, this is... The last issue I read when I was doing all of this on Twitter. So from Marvel Saga number nine, I finally get back into not not just rereading, but reading for the first time and coming up with notes and speculations and connections. So I'm really looking forward to that. I have no idea why I, aban why I abandoned it on Twitter, but, you know, that's par for the course. Uh, so, yeah, so we're going to jump back in with each issue number nine, hopefully get some new information, some new tidbits and that'll be within two more digests. The nominees for Best Actress in a Broadway Musical are Angela Lansbury in Dear World, <laughs> Maria Carnilova in Zorba, Dorothy Loudon, The Fig Leaves Are Falling, and Jill O'Hara, Promises, Promises. And you're all only wonderful. The winner is Angela Lansbury. That was a recording from the Tony Awards for 1969, where Angela Lansbury won her second Tony for Best Actress in a Musical for the musical Dear World. Her first was for MAME in 1966, and then she would win in 1975 for Gypsy, for the revival of Gypsy, in 1979 for Sweeney Todd, and for 2000 and in 2009 for Blythe Spirit and then in 2022 received a lifetime achievement award uh, for the Tonys. Angela Lansbury died today, Tuesday, October 11th at her home in Los Angeles. She was 96. An obvious staple of musical theater history as well as movies and TV. What follows is just my small tribute for her work, specifically those projects that I will always remember her from because there there's a lot that I haven't seen and there's a lot of her work that I just don't know. So in honor and tribute and remembrance, here's Angela Lansbury. Paul, please. May I ask how we are going to get there on this bed? Fly? My dear Professor Brown, with your own traveling spell, the one you gave with the course as a bonus. My traveling spell? That works as well? Just give the address, please. 8 Winchfield Road. Bed, take us to 8 Winchfield Road. Is this vehicle safe? Oh, perfectly safe. A bit theatrical, perhaps, but then most good spells are. Now denying times is hard, sir. Even harder than the worst parties in London. Only loud and nothing more is than just revolting, all greasy and gritty. It looks like it's melting and tastes like 
So, how was your trip, Mrs. Fletcher? Gorgeous, Sid. If you don't mind me saying, that character that got you playing in the Hatterville comic strip, <laughs> it's given a missus and me some real good yaks. What did you say about a comic strip? That's right, you've been away. Here, see for yourself. <laughs> You're the fox, ain't you? Jessica Fox? This fella Hatter who draws this strip, he's pretty clever, huh? Oh, come now, Lieutenant DeRodent. It was you that stole a hundred pounds of fish powder from... She's accusing this police officer of stealing evidence that would have convicted the... the Three Moose Ears Gang? I never met a comic strip character before, Mrs. Fletcher. Well, I've never been one. Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. After the cupboard with you now, Chip. It's past your bedtime. Good night, love. New Comics Wednesday, comic book recommendations for the week of October 12th. No reviews this time, I'm just going to give you some quick recommendations. From Image Comics, we have New Masters Trade Paperback by Shobo and Schaff Coker, collecting the six-issue miniseries for $19.99. This is a science fiction tale sketched across the plains and neon-lit cities of West Africa. It was a simple heist, but this motley crew of outcasts is soon caught in the middle of a struggle for control of an ancient alien artifact of immense power. And for me, you know, having a futuristic tale that is not set in the U.S. is kind of a nice refresher, makes it a little unique. The artwork reminds me of a little bit of like Rob Guillory from Chew, but but more refined. And the coloring and the art, uh, the coloring in the art is, is um, layering some really nice different textures. So it gives the page, uh, there's nothing really flat about the coloring usually, you know, they like to have some, um, just, it just looks like texture work to me and it, and it adds to the story. So I'm really looking forward to reading this. From Bloomsbury, we have Illuminations, short stories by Alan Moore. This is a hardcover for $30. His first ever short story collection, which spans 40 years of work and features uh, many never-before-published pieces. So some of the stories, a, a hypothetical lizard, two concubines in a brothel for sorcerers fall in love, with tragic ramifications. Uh, Not Even Legend is a story about a paranormal study group that is infiltrated by one of the otherworldly beings they seek to investigate. In the short story Illuminations, a nostalgic older man decides to visit a seaside resort from his youth and finds the past all too close at hand. And then there's the novella What We Can Know About Thunderman which charts the surreal and Kafkaesque history of the comics industry over the last 75 years through several sometimes naive and sometimes maniacal people rising and falling on its career ladders. We have two from Prestel Publishing. His name is Banksy Graphic Novel by Francesco Matuzzi and Marco Maraggi. And this is about the, you know, infamous street artist but nobody actually knows who he is. So two young Londoners are caught spray-painting graffiti on a city wall. They get to know each other while detained by the police, and after they are released, they decide to make a film of Banksy's life, tracing the arc of his career as they travel through the streets of London. Readers will will learn not only of the politi- politically charged art 
and the causes that Banksy championed, but also of its worldwide dissemination, exhibitions, record-breaking auctions, etc. While readers may not learn Banksy's true identity, this uniquely graphic form of storytelling communicates the artist's belief that art is for everyone, speaks to everyone, and is owned by everyone. $24.95. Also for that same price, Keith Haring, The Story of His Life graphic novel by Paolo Parisi. Uh, this follows his boyhood days spent drawing compulsively all the way through his tragic de death. And it looks at every stage of his life, exploring early influences, the root of his activism, his close friendships with other artists, and it shows readers what it was like to be part of New York City's vibrant downtown art scene in the 1980s. Uh, nightclubs, art openings, the rise of hip-hop, and how world events such as the fall of the Berlin Wall, the escalation of nuclear arms, and apartheid, and the dawn of the climate crisis all played into his work. And then you also learn about Herring's own battle with AIDS, how it fuels, fueled his advocacy for education and research, and how he was friends and uh, contemporaries with uh, Warhol to Basquiat, Fab Five Freddy to Madonna. So Keith Herring was, Herring was born in Reading, Pennsylvania in 1958, and uh, he was raised in Kutztown, which is, you know, a bunch of miles outside of Reading. So that's a, a name that um, obviously have some, has some history, and there are a few people in my life that actually knew Keith or knew, you know, sort of like six degrees of Keith Haring, I guess you could say. Um, and then finally, from Titan Publishing, as the intro music suggests, sort of suggests, we have Adam, The Beginning, Volume 1, for $12.99. This is by Masami Yuki and Tetsuro Kasahara. Based on the works of Osama Tezuka, this is a prequel to Astro Boy. It's a sci-fi manga about the lives of two robotic engineering students and their latest revolutionary project, the unassuming yet insanely strong a106 or 6. So this is both a prequel to the original series, telling the stories of those developers of the artificial intelligence that would eventually give birth to the iconic Adam, and yet it also reads as, as a standalone story. So Adam, The Beginning, Volume 1. There you go. Those are my recommendations for the week of October 12th. Comic book news from New York Comic Con 2022. I talked about how I might do this if something caught my eye. So I have a few things here, and it might be some old news. You might um, have already heard this, but what the heck? Conventions are back. People are attending and getting COVID, all to provide us uh, with this information, all to provide us hermits with this information. So I am now passing this info on to you in case you haven't heard about it. Most of this stuff is going to happen in 2023, including this first item here, as the music may have tipped you off. Image Comics in 2023 is going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Invincible. What? 20 years? So, created by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker, Invincible debuted on January 22nd, 2003, and soon after they were joined by artist and contributing creator Ryan Otley. I just didn't realize that property was that old. So, there was a 15-year run of 144 issues with spin-offs, a crossover with Spider-Man, etc., and they are going to do a whole bunch of things to mark that celebration. So they're going to do uh, an Invincible number 1 facsimile edition. And then they're also going, going to do a, the same kind of reprint, but in black and white, called the Undeluxe. They're going to have a compendium, Invincible Compendium volume, volume 1 hardcover, which is a brand new hardcover collecting issues 0 through 47. 
and this will be exclusive to comic shops. There's going to be a new edition, Invincible Volume 1, in the summer of 2023, collecting the series from the beginning with new covers, but in all-new 6x9 graphic novel format, which is smaller than a comic, right? Um, I don't know what that 6x9 represents. So if someone knows what that represents in the book world, let me know. Uh, and then they're also going to do the Invincible Universe Compendium, which is going to collect uh, all of sort of like the spinoffs, Adam and Eve, or Adam Eve, um, Adam Eve and Rex Splode, Guarding, Guarding the Globe, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, The Invincible Universe 1 through 12, and that'll be in an all-new format. And then, of course, apparel, collectibles, tabletop games, a video game, and Season 2 of the Amazon Prime show is set to be released, or at least... Um, they're ramping up for a season two. So there you go. All of your invincible news for the 20th anniversary. I have not read it and I keep meaning to read. It. Actually, I lie. I started to read, um, I read Tech Jacket because I don't remember if it feeds into Invincible, but I was trying to read like some of Robert Kirkman's early stuff and then eventually I would get to Invincible. DC Comics is kicking off Lazarus Planet by Mark Wade in 2023. Following the events of Batman vs. Robin number 4 in December, the Lazarus volcano is going to explode, spewing dangerous and transformative chemicals into the atmosphere, resulting in chaos across the DC Universe. As those Lazarus clouds rain down upon the planet, people across the globe begin to develop strange new abilities, watch their already extraordinary abilities change, and witness a whole host of chaos unlike anything the DCU has experienced before. Well, I wouldn't say that. They, they've done that a number of times. Um, didn't they do that after something happened with the source wall, and then all of a sudden there were supposed to be like all these people that would get power? Certainly the whole bloodshot event, you know, where these aliens came down and affected a whole bunch of people. I mean, this is, this is common, you know, it's even in that, um, there in Marvel, there was an Inhumans event where the Terrigen mist like went over a certain part of the world or whatever. So anyway, so some of the changes that we saw in the promo images include things like Batman wearing Dr. Fate's helmet, Martian Manhunter becoming a doomsday-like monster, John Kent wearing an electric blue Superman suit, etc. This will also feature Monkey King, Damian Wayne, Poison Ivy, Power Girl, Shazam, Mary Marvel, Wonder Girl, etc. And it releases in January with an Alpha one-shot. So it's kind of like a bookend crossover event. We start with Alpha, we have a whole bunch of specials, and then we finish up in Omega. And those specials include... Assault on Krypton, We Once Were Gods, Legends Reborn, Next Evolution, Dark Fate, and then Omega. So it's all just, you know, like I said, it's a bunch of one-shots outside of the normal title, so you could probably ignore it. Or if you're someone who um, likes to get these kind of events, um, you know, here's an easy way to do that. Not to be outdone, Marvel is doing their own event in 2023, Captain America Cold War, which will be a culmination of all the threats and the battles and the mysteries that have been at the center of Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson's adventures. It's the climax of the first two years of both Captain America books, Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth. You're going to find the origin of Steve's shield, the outer circle stepping out from the shadows, White Wolf's vicious attack, the return of Nomad, this is all in celebration of Captain America's 80-year history and will leave a lasting impression on the Captain America legacy. This was birthed from an idea about uniting all of the Captain America-adjacent characters like Steve and Sam, Nomad, White Wolf, Bucky. He's going to have a new costume, a new design, and it will bring back Ian Rogers, which is a character that was created during Marvel Now!, during the Marvel Now volume by Rick Remender and John Romita Jr. 
and it all took place in Dimension Z. And I actually liked that story a little bit. Um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier Special Number 1 is a one-shot that will arrive in November, and that will kick off the Cold War story. If we go back to DC, probably one of the big announcements that kind of have kind of had everybody talking is that their DC Universe Infinite site or app is getting a new tier called Ultra. And you'll pay a little bit more, but you will get comics one month after release in comic shops. And now I don't know if it's the entire line, but they will start to target a one month release. And it will also expand the catalog of Vertigo, Black Label, and Collected Editions, which will be exclusively available to Ultra subscribers starting in mid-November. Ultra subscribers will receive the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition, featuring a cover by Yvonne Hayes while supplies last. <laughs> and then, of course, you also, you know, you'll get DC graphic novels, Mad Magazine titles, etc. So they're looking to expand up to 32,000 books in November. The Ultra site launches in on October 10th. It'll be, um, they're going to have a, a special limited time introductory price of only nine, uh, $99.99 a year in the U.S. And then there are prices for Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the U.K., plus taxes. And this rate is good until November 28th, 2022. So that's $100 a year to read a very large library of DC Comics. I mean, I spend anywhere from 50 to 70 $70 uh, a month not just on DC, but that's usually usually what I spend after discount at DCBS. So, you know, I'm already a subscriber to the um DCU app. I'm not sure if I'm going to do the ultra thing because the whole one month thing, you know, I mean, I, it kind of makes sense. And the, you know, I pay 65 now and, um, it's not that much more to do a hundred and I do use the site. So, and it probably would mean that I would stop getting certain books. So, and I even think that DC is banking on that. Like, I think they're just banking on people just switching over digitally, you know? Um, of course, because it is DC, there were a ton of complaints, especially from retailers, you know, about how short that window is between physical and digital. It's a conversation that also went on during the pandemic because of movies and movie theater, movie theaters, you know, and there's a history, right? So DC, when they did New 52, they had day and date releases so not only could you do uh read a comic physically or buy a comic physically you could buy it digitally the same day i think the pricing was different i can't remember um eventually that went away and then the norm has been six months there's usually like a six months different difference between physical and digital it's all a way to appease retailers more than anything and then in 2020 marvel went to three months so they shortened the game so, of course, now that DC is going one month, they get the brunt of the criticism, even though usually they aren't the ones to test these waters, you know. It's usually Marvel that does it. I'm thinking all those price increases in the 2000s, you know, that was all funneled through Marvel. I mean, they admitted it. It was in, 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 in an interview at one point. So, um, one of the retailers that I like to follow on Twitter, Ryan Higgins, uh, who's a very outspoken retailer, um, and kind of bucks the trends of most of the other retailers who never see the sun, and says that digital comics have been entirely additive to the industry. Some people switch, but those people were likely to get out of comics entirely. Everyone knows that Pirate Site exists, and comic sales are incredible. You can sign up for Viz Manga for $1, $1.99 a month. So this will have, he feels it won't have that hard of an effect on physical sales. And honestly, you know, what he says is true. Those of us switching to the apps to get those yearly subscriptions, you know, we're saving money, but we're also saving space. So in a way, 
I might be someone who's cutting back on physical, but I know people who spend way more than I do every month, you know, not even the hard, hardcore collectors, you know, there's, I'm kind of, what I'm realizing is, is I'm sort of lower tier when it comes to my collecting. And there's, uh, there are quite a number of other tiers above me in how much they spend a month. Quite honestly, even though I have cut down on just about everything Marvel and some DC, I still wind up spending money on collections and magazines and reference material um, or other publishers. And I feel like that's what retailers should offer and that's what they should talk about instead of saying it kills sales. How about using it as an opportunity to say to customers, oh, okay, you have a Marvel subscription. You have a DC online subscription. How about taking that money and supporting Image and Boom and Dark Horse and Vault and Aftershock, right, who don't benefit from those kind of things? So comic re retailers, if you get your customers to be readers of other things, then you don't really lose money you just sort of funnel that money that money's going somewhere everybody has that entertainment you know cash that it's either going into comics or video games or whatever and and if you start to not spend as much on something you're going to spend it somewhere else so um and don't get me started on pirate comic sites the way ryan brought them up you know um uh you know there's always a discussion about pirate sites usually every six weeks and I just have to laugh at it because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of turning the eye only to these pirate sites. And I'm not saying these are good, but what I'm saying is everyone uses them. And if you go on YouTube, there are major YouTube channels with thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of views and hundreds of thousands of followers who do nothing but show the comic and practically just read it. Even if they try to do fun voices and whatever, or they they take out the dialogue in the word balloons, they are in S they are showing the comic page by page, sometimes panel by panel. So it's not just a pirate site issue. It's also a YouTube issue. And it's not just average readers who are using these sites. You have novelists who are writing books about certain publishers and then going on Twitter and doing threads on romance comics that they're pulling images from pirate sites. You have comic book resource senior writers, again, pulling pages from the piracy sites for their should-be-good columns as a way to garner hits and to provide income for the website. You have people on Twitter, you know, uh, uh, podcasters or otherwise, who are doing long Twitter thread threads on being able to read a character's entire library. I mean, it's out there. So sure, let's talk about pirate sites, but let's talk about pirate sites when we all are ready to admit that we are all complicit in one way or another. Otherwise, you're just a coward. If you're only calling out this, you know, what you think are people who don't want to buy comics and you're only calling out the average readers, it's the old thing of people living in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? Somebody got caught on Twitter, they write for it for that DC Universe website. And when something happened last year or maybe earlier this year, and they posted an image and, and it it clearly even had on the bottom where it was from, what pirate site it was from. And everybody was like, oh, you know, they probably Googled the image. And yeah, when you Google image images, those sites and those pages do come up but it was just way too much and some of the other images that they also pulled it all was from pirate sites you know you knew it's like you worked you you write for the dcu website just go find that issue on the website and pull the image like why did you have to so, so anyway anyway that's not what this is segment is about so let's go back um here's some quick hits about um you know news from new york comic-con Joe Quesada, we all know, we, you know, we read that um, he stepped down as Marvel's chief creative officer and then in New York Comic Con announced that he's going to be doing a whole bunch of variant covers for DC, most notably 
on Batman, which is like, wow, you know, leaves Marvel, uh, you know, not, not really leaves Marvel, but you know, he's opening up himself to do work for other publishers and even said it felt like unfinished business to draw Batman more. There's going to be an entire shakeup of the Superman books, starting with Action Comics 1, uh, 1051 on January of 2023, and then you're going to get some new titles, including a new Superman by Williamson and Campbell, uh, Adventures of Superman, John Kent. You're going to get a, a sequel to Lois and Clark entitled Doom Rising, and it's going to feature, it's going to emulate the Triangle Era, where these books are going to be somewhat connected so a whole new superman kicking off uh with the new year of course marvel has other events that they'll be working on sins of sinister in january which is basically age of apocalypse but with mr sinister so they're going to replace their books like they did with age of apocalypse for a couple of months um i think they're going to replace them but then It'll only be for like one or two issues, maybe, and then, but they'll still be releasing their other X Men line, the normal X Men line. I think it's going to be very crowded. In the spring of 2023, there's going to be a new Guardians of the Galaxy book, and they have a teaser with their emblem all broken, and it says, How do you rebuild a family? Got to keep that franchise alive because of the movies. Uh, in the summer, Summer of Symbiotes which is an event all about the symbionts, and the fall of X, whatever that's going to be, also in the summer of 2023. And then finally from IDW, some Star Trek news. They are going to produce a new title simply called Star Trek, no subtitle, and it's going to be a complete crossover world where all the different shows exist and crossover simultaneously. And it was conceived as an exercise to take as much of Trek as they can and funnel it into one ongoing tale. It's going to feature Benjamin Sisko on the USS Theseus, an experimental vessel that does things that only work for it and nowhere else. And the crew is an all-star lineup pulled from different shows, Data and Beverly Crusher, uh, Tom Paris from Voyager, plus new characters, one of whom is Lily Sat Sato, the descendant of Star Trek Enterprise's character, Hoshi Sato. And then the other is a brand new non-binary character. The comic is deliberately set during one of the emptiest spaces, emptiest spaces in the current canon between the return of Voyager and the Star Trek Nemesis movie. And um, the only thing they can't pull from is Star Trek Discovery. That sounds great. That sounds fun, um, especially if they can play within that section where they can merge all of these things, which means they can have the Voyager world and they can have uh, whatever happened after Deep Space Nine and they can have stuff that leads up to Nemesis and stuff that leads up to the Kelvin universe, I guess, if they want. Um, I love big narrative books like this, so I hope it does well. And then there's a second one as well called Star Trek Defiant which will feature Captain Worf, and on his team will be Belana Torres, Rolaren, Spock, and Lore. Again, this is pre-Nemesis. This will start when there is a rift between Worf and Sisko, and Worf will steal the Defiant on a non-sanctioned mission. They will not be in uniform. But I love that team. I mean, come on, Rolaren. I really like Rolaren. Seeing Worf and Bellana together, that sounds intriguing. So there you go. Just some New York Comic Con news that you may or may not have heard. And um, there are certainly more items out there. You can just punch in New York Comic Con 2022 somewhere on Google, and I'm sure you can find some other news. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Let's wrap up this digest with a topic that I've been meaning to bring to you for several weeks. I've talked or hinted at it in other digests. As many of you know, this past September, I did not return to teaching for the first time in 11 years. In those 11 years that I've been at the school, 
my particular school has had six deans and my specific program has had five program heads. That's not a good look, right? So the newest versions of both um, with very little input from faculty that were mostly affected uh, were steered into cutting programs, cutting classes, cutting hours, resulting in an overall program that I felt was neutered and a program that could no longer be a viable option for my commute and for what I need as an instructor. Basically, I, was lose, I would be losing money had I stayed with the school. So it is now October, soon to be. I made this decision in July, I think, July or August. It's now October, soon to be November. I'm still looking for work. And while I'm good until the end of the year, I'd rather not get down to that deadline before I'm starting to see some kind of cash flow, right? So, after some weeks and months of tossing around some ideas and a long conversation with someone about this topic, I wanted to bring to you, the listeners, an idea uh, that I would love to get your feedback on about fundraising. And yes, that means donations and maybe even, which is something I've, I've been against for a long, long time, maybe even starting a Patreon account. Now, I've been against a Patreon, Patreon account for The Daily Reels for years because the podcast is small. I'm old school when it comes to podcasting, right? I, I just really have a hesitancy about it all because I liked the idea of podcasting as a free format, right? Sponsors are one thing, which I never really went after aggressively. Um, And certainly in the past 10 to 15 years, or I should say like the past 10, 10 to 12 years, the notion of monetizing podcasting has been an obvious thing, right? There are many, many, many podcasts who monetize their feed, who monetize their their show, and they have very successful um, Patreons, and they're able to offer some amazing things, you know, merchandise and whatever. You know, I'm not I'm not looking to to you know to that level. Um, and the reason I was so hesitant is because the way that I've seen certain podcasts run their Patreon, I just look at it and I go, I don't see the value in what they're offering, you know, paying for episodes and content that eventually show up in the feed, in the main feed, or paying for content, maybe like a a Patreon specific episode, but everybody pays for that same episode. I mean, is that podcast of that value? You know what I mean? Um, or when, when, People who have uh, who who fundraise through through Patreon and and they select a tier and then the the podcaster says okay you have to be at this tier for three months or six months before you see a a certain reward in that tier and that's something that is common throughout a lot of Patreons I just I don't like that I just feel like if you if you offer a donation there should be something of value to that donation right so that's why. It really didn't appeal to me. Then I had this conversation and I've had other people reach out, like especially when I was doing the fundraising for the laptop, who were just who just said to me, just do a Patreon. You need to do a Patreon. You know, they somebody said, you know, I donate to other podcasts that don't do half the content that you do. And somebody else said that I donate to other podcasts that I don't even like that much, you know. Um, so all of this rattled around in my brain, and some of it is probably out of desperation as well, but um, basically it went a long way into seeing that there is value in a Patreon um, in a format that maybe isn't what is the norm, you know, or in a format that I feel comfortable with, because that's really, that's really what it comes down to. Um, I've researched other Patreons. I've researched podcast Patreons, but I've also researched artists' Patreons because 
I feel like what they do is closer to how I would run it and it's closer to something that would that I would feel good about. And I think I've come up with something that I do feel good about that is different, maybe a little unique in the podcasting world, and that would provide value per donation and that wouldn't pull from the main Daily Rios content and also give you the option to donate through Patreon, not to donate through Patreon, or not donate at all, right? I don't want any of this to be a commitment, you know? So that's why I'm coming to you. I want you to hear what I have to say. I want to get feedback. And then sometime in November, maybe in time for my my milestone birthday in November, maybe I'll pull the trigger and we'll see how it goes for the, you know, until the end of the year, or we'll see how it goes for a couple of months. So the options would be to start a Patreon, to ask for donations once a month without doing a Patreon, or to do both and to let you decide what you would want to do. Do you want to do Patreon? Do you want to not do Patreon? And maybe you just want to do like, you know, a monthly donation on your own or not. Maybe you don't want to donate at all. Or maybe you're like, nah, I'll donate once a month. And then if I have something, you know, three months later, I'll donate then. That's what I, that's, I, that flexibility should be something that is in, should be built within Patreon, right? Like you sign up for a tier, but you say to them, I can't do it monthly, but I could do it every two months or I could do it every quarter. Like that to me feels less invasive it feels you don't have to be as committed and um i feel then that you feel like you're getting a better value for what you are signing up for you know um so those three things you know there's the first thing what you know should i do a patreon should i just do the donation like you know like pbs um uh, pledge drive or should i do a mix of both if i did a mix of both um, the tiers would be for everybody, whether you signed up for Patreon or not. It's just based on your donation, you know, like a donation range. So here, let me talk a little bit about what I would do with Patreon. Um, all the tiers hopefully would be a little different than maybe what you see from other podcasters. Um, what I would do is I would have, you know, the basic tier of, you know, this is just, the lowest tier, it's meant as a thank you, is it's meant as a way for you to help support the show. I say thank you to you, and that's it, right? Um, the next tier would be what artists do, and that is provide a tier for process. And for me, that means notes. All the notes that I take, whether I'm reading comics, whether I'm watching geek-related material, whether I come up with a topic um about some larger thought or idea all of these notes i am constantly writing and probably only about 40 percent of them actually make it to an actual podcast there are a lot of notes that i have from many i mean we're talking even before podcasting things that i have going all the way back to my aol homepage, which is on the website but all of this stuff like I have just tons of notes that I could drop on a daily basis, you know, little things here and there. And and you could scroll through and go, wow, you know, I thought about reading that. Here's Peter's entire annotation of this series, you know. Uh, I read all of Planetary that I never did anything with. I read all of Astonishing X-Men, the Joss Whedon run. I'm currently reading Cerebus. Um as terrible as the Titans TV show is, I have a ton more notes that I never got to. Or Superman and Lois, uh, movies, TV shows, some geek-related, some not geek-related, tons of comics. Um, in my Google Docs, I have uh, broken up, you know, DC by the year, you know. Whenever I read something from 1985, it goes in the 1985 doc. If I if it's 2007, it goes into 2007. Same thing with Marvel. I mean, I have so much content that that tier, even at sort of like the second lowest level, would be an amazing value, you know. So, um, so that's that tier. And then the higher tiers, and I think there would be three of them, again, pulling from artists, 
would involve podcasting and would involve creating podcasting specifically for Patreon, but not, you know, one podcast for a hundred people. It would be one podcast per donation. It would basically be a podcast commission. You know, if you subscribe to one of the higher tiers, you get a five minute podcast on a topic that we figure out together. You know, if it's higher than that, it's a 15 minute podcast. If it's higher than that, it's a 30 minute podcast, a you know, commission that to me, I feel like donations then become more valuable because you are getting something, a complete podcast. It won't have bells and whistles. It won't, you know, it'll be just me sort of talking, um, and it obviously has to be about something that I'm willing to talk about, you know. Um, but I think that could be really valuable for you, you know. I'm sure over the years you're like, hey, I really would love to hear his thoughts on blah, blah, blah. And I could do that, you know. Um, I probably would stay away from topics that I want to finish or that I've already started on the show, you know, because that doesn't make sense. I don't want to, I don't want to do a podcast for you that I'm eventually going to do on the website. The idea is that it should be wholly unique to your interests that we work together to figure out because that's what artists do with commissions, right? And just like artists commissions, you, there are some things they don't want to draw and there's some things I don't want to talk about, you know? So that to me feels like more value for your donation. So all of the, that would be it. Like just those things, you know, um, would be enough for a tier, unless you have an idea of like, you know, here's something that another podcast does that I really like. I totally would be up to hearing that from you. And then, like I said, if I don't do a Patreon, but it's just sort of like a straight donation, you know, that I maybe ask for once a month. And I really would just ask like once a month. I wouldn't, I wouldn't announce it every episode because that's that invasive part of it. You know, suddenly, your podcast, all your episodes become just about the Patreon. I don't want to do that. Um, but if I didn't do the Patreon, or if I did a mix of Patreon and donations, even if you didn't sign up for the Patreon, if you donate in a given month, you're going to get whatever tier that relates to, because why not, right? But maybe you can't do monthly. Maybe you don't want to do monthly because you didn't like my episodes that month. Maybe you just want to do every two months, every six months, or once, and that's it. And then for that month, you would get that tier, right? Um, I'm good about keeping records, so I would know how to handle all this. It can totally be on your schedule. It's not invasive. You don't have to feel bad that, you know, you sign up for Patreon, but you're like, oh no, I really got to cut back, and now I feel bad because Peter's going to think I don't want to support, you know, like that's the part of pod the Patreon that to me feels a little invasive, and I don't ever want that to feel that way. So a straight donation even if it's one time, goes a long way in helping, and you get to be part of the tier, and, you know, it, it's, it, it's non-committal, which, which I really like. The one thing I would offer as sort of like a stretch goal is I would create some kind of limit. Like, you know, if I get $75 or if I get $100, whoever helped me get to that $100, I'd put all your names in a hat pull one name out and you would get one of those 30 minute podcast, um, commissions, you know, um, if you donated twice within that $100, then I'd put your name in twice. Right. But I still would only pick one person. So again, none of this, like three months and six months, everybody gets a chance. Even the people who only donate like whatever the lowest tier is, which is just basically a special thanks tier, even they would get the chance to win because they're part of that 100 and then the next 100 I would do it again as soon as as soon as I reach 101 whoever made that happen you know their name goes in and we we continue so um that to me again feels like more value because you're part of something that you could get more from um but you don't have to constantly pay you know if you're just a one-time donation then for that one one that one set of names that got me to 100, you could, you could win something, you know? So what should I do? Does this make sense? Does any of it make sense? What kind of ideas do you have? Have you heard anybody else do anything like this? This is all stuff that I feel good about. I do not feel good about releasing episodes early on a feed, on a Patreon feed, and then 
later on into my feed because it's like, well, then why did you even pay for it in the first place? Um, I don't want to do special episodes just for the Patreon that everybody in a certain feed gets to hear because again, if it's like, say it's like a, a $30 tier, that one podcast, that five people who are at the $30 tier um, get to listen to, it's not suddenly worth $150 because of the five people at 30. You know what I mean? That to me is where I don't feel good about that. But if it's your own specific donation and your own specific commission, I think that could work. So Patreon, straight up pledge drive once a month, a mix of both. Where do you fall? You don't have to do anything at all. You could just continue listening as if you've never heard this segment. I never, ever want anyone to feel obligated. I am still doing the Daily Rios even when I'm unemployed, even if I'm homeless. I won't stop. I'm hooked. I love podcasting. This is all me just spitballing, and um, I want to get your feedback. You know, your feedback on what I should do. Does the process page seem interesting? The commissions? Um, Again, if you have other ideas, let me know. I don't do any of this lightly, and I don't take any of it lightly, and I don't take my listeners um, for granted, you know. The fundraiser to get the new laptop was completely humbling, and and when there are days when I know I'm behind, you know, I just think, okay, do it for those people who wanted me to have a new laptop so I could continue podcasting, and I always want to feel like I am living up to the, all the support that you you the listeners give right um and you know anything helps and i think this could go a long way into um because i i you know my monthly um output of what i need to pay is extremely low like when i tell people what i live on per month they're like really i'm like yeah so i'm not trying to make this a full-time gig you know that's not what this is but you know maybe once a month a little extra cash could help whatever you know as the person that i talked to said i've been podcasting for a long time if people are still listening they clearly want to hear my thoughts you know and i always try to be honest and i always try to be straightforward and they said let them donate let them donate or let them not donate you know just create the page who cares and if you get two people per month that's awesome and that that really is the point you know so no sweat no fuss um as I said, I probably will roll this out sometime in late November. So email me, peter at the Um That's probably the best way to send me feedback. Um, but you, you can go to the website, thedailyrios.com, but don't leave feedback there uh, for this particular topic. Follow the Instagram, The Daily Rios. Follow my Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Review me on your favorite podcast catcher. Uh, email me if you want to be part of a book club episode. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 584 for Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Talk to you soon. You sure that's the best you can do, Buttercup? The longer Hulk fights, the stronger Hulk gets. Yeah, well, the smell's really starting to get to me.